Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening and welcome to episode 000210 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to eight this evening, broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters, which is at the end of the 96 line, which of course is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present and to any mob that are out there listening either in Nam or around the country on the National Indigenous Radio Service. Now, uh, on tonight's show, we'll be joined in studio by the two new co-chairs of the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria, Ngara Murray and Ruben Berg. They were both elected by members of the Assembly just about two weeks ago, so we'll speak to both of them, find out a little bit about their backgrounds and talk about things like the treaty, the voice and anything else that comes to mind. It's an honour to have them both in studio with us this evening. So stick around. Now, you may have seen on the news and elsewhere that the Gama Festival uh, was held in East Arnhem Land over the weekend. It's an annual festival that just goes from strength to strength every year. This year, the festival was a particularly interesting one because it marked the first anniversary of the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, announcing that his government was all in on supporting the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which means holding a referendum on changing the Constitution to recognise First Peoples, including a voice to Parliament which will advise Executive Government on matters affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this place now known as Australia. Now, at the same time of that... Um, at the time of that uh, initial announcement, the, uh, implement- the implementation of an election pledge, support for the voice was strong. Polling showed a majority of people in a majority of states supported not only constitutional reform but also the voice to parliament, which is part of the package. But since then, as people know, um, support has slid and continues to slide. In the last few days, there have been three polls which place support for yes in the low 40s. And that includes the most recent poll from uh, The Guardian, Guardian, an essential poll, which shows most people will be voting no in every state and territory except good old Victoria. It goes to show how, I guess, effective the Conservative No campaign has been, but in my view, it's just a political strategy aimed at bolstering support for the Coalition in the lead-up to the next election. It is a disingenuous campaign which is built totally and utterly on bad faith and totally and utterly built in, on ensuring that uh, Peter Dutton has a chance at the next election. And while it is clear that Peter Dutton doesn't actually support the voice, even though he was part of a government that was going to legislate one, the main game here is for him to gain political and real capital from the coalition for the coalition around the country. And in the typical spawn fashion of the likes of Howard, it doesn't matter if they tear the place apart in the process. But um, despite that, there seems to be a renewed sense of optimism coming out of Gama. I must say that uh, one of our guests this evening has come directly from Gama, so we'll um, speak to Ngara about that. But let's hope that translates to the S23 campaign being able to be, I guess, better organised than they have been so far. 
Um, we have, um, you know, attacks from the Conservative No campaign, but there's an opportunity now that hopefully Ghana served as a an, an opportunity for people to, I guess, real ga- regalvanise their efforts as we move towards the referendum, which is rumoured to be on October 14th of this year. We decide elections and uh, referendum cycles in this country around where they fit in sporting events. <laughs> so there'll be, there won't be um, an AFL grand final or an NRL grand final and the Melbourne Cup in the Spring Carnival is still a way off. So that's, um, that's how the thinking works in this country. Um, but what it means now is that I think over recent weeks... Um, and I think um, in the lead-up to Gama, um, there seems to now be a clear line of attack against the Conservative No campaign. And it means campaigning with a combination of aspirational and real politic, um, painting the picture as to why we need a voice, and then getting in the trenches and making sure that you prosecute that case against the, uh, the spears and arrows of the Conservative No campaign. Now, it's going to be an uphill battle, but it is possible. But as we sit here several months out from the vote, I would suggest that as things stand, and I hate to say this, The Voice has about a 30% chance of success, the way things have been trending and the way the polls are at the moment. To change that is up to all of us to think whether the status quo when it comes to Aboriginal affairs in this country is good enough or requires a circuit breaker And that circuit breaker is the voice of Aboriginal people informing government, being recognised in the constitution of this country as the first peoples of this country, and whether we can actually attend to one of the key elements of that constitution, and that is the Parliament of Australia, in real time by advising executive government. We've got plenty of time to think about it. There's going to be a whole lot of money, millions of words, millions of words spoken, millions of words written in the lead up to October. People will have a think about it. Hopefully, those that are disengaged at the moment will become engaged at a later date. Now, as listeners to this program are well aware, the First People's Assembly of Victoria has now formed into its second iteration after elections earlier this year elected a new assembly to carry on the tremendously important work required to get us to treaty and treaties in this state. Sitting in front of me in the studio are the two new co-chairs of the Assembly, Ngara Murray and Ruben Berg. Both were re-elected to the Assembly after being part of its inaugural version. We had the pleasure of having Wamba Wamba, Yorta Yorta, Daradora and Jaja Rung woman Nagara Murray on the program before in her role as Oxfam's Australia's First Peoples Programs lead, a role which she had fulfilled for the past decade. Am I correct there? Um, uh, and joining us for the first time in the Assembly uh, is the Assembly's other co-chair, Gundi Jamara man, Ruben Berg. Ruben is a trained architect and was previously a commissioner for the Victorian Environmental Environment Water Holder, uh, Water Holder, and a member of the Heritage Council of Victoria. Ruben Nagara, welcome to the mission. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure. I really, really appreciate you coming in. Um, I know, uh, Angara, you, you've flown in from uh, Gama. I, I followed yep. you in real time. <laughs> I tracked your flight. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, but um, first of all, congratulations to both of you. It's a, it's a massive honour and a massive responsibility. Thank you. Um, to start off, um, while the election of both you of you as uh, co-chairs to the Assembly 
in some ways represents a new generation of, of leadership. Um, in real terms, what it actually represents is a continuum of all those things that have come before us. And what you're actually doing is carrying the work of our old people forward. Um, and Gara, let's, let's start with you. What are your reflections on that when you think about the responsibility of carrying the work of people that have come before us forward as part of this process? Yeah, it's a huge responsibility and something that I take serious and I feel really honoured and privileged to be elected to the Assembly for a second term and, and as a co-chair um, along with Reuben. And when I look back on the history of our people here in Victoria, we've really been on the forefront of the political movement and I think when we talk about, you know, voice treaty truth now, that stems way back to those old people yeah. in particular, um, you know, Uncle William Cooper in the 1930s, um, in the lead up to the um, day of mourning. I look way back to the 1800s, our people at Maloga and the men that petitioned um, for land back um, way back then and wanting self-determination, you know, back in the 1800s. So I think we've got a, a long line of ancestry, especially our Yorta Yorta people, that have contributed to that movement um, and that's something that I'm really proud of but that's a long call that we've had for justice for our people and I think, um, you know, Uncle William in the 30s when he petitioned, he talked about federal representation in the parliament um, and that's a call that's over 90 years later that we're still um, working towards now. So, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of our history and our legacies that we carry um, and they've carried over gen generations um, so, yeah, I, I think it's an important part of our history that we, we always must remember and, and reflect on. Yeah, me too. I was reading that, uh, I think it was the 1887 Maloga petition to um, the New South Wales Governor asking for a small parcel of land, um, of our own land, back for us to work and toil and, and basically try and, and solve um, the problem that we that we've been seen as for um, you know since since um, colonialisation um, arrived here, Reuben as a as a man of uh, the uh, fighting Gunditjmara, uh, how how do you feel about the responsibility of carrying the, the work of all those that came before us forward? Yeah, like Nagara, it's something I'm always incredibly mindful of that. We haven't got to this point just from the work of the last three years or the last six years. It's been decades, generations, centuries of work to get us to this point. And that can be a weighty thing to have on your shoulders at, at times, but to me it's something that kind of gives me the energy to, to keep going to making sure that we do fulfil and continue that legacy of what's been come before us. Yeah. I mean, you're both eminently qualified for the role, given your professional life and, and who you are and where you're from. But would I be right in saying that um, really the best qualifications for both of you be becoming co-chairs was being members of the inaugural assembly, being there from, uh, you know, day zero and then working to a point where we're at a point and sometime during your term where we will start the actual negotiation process um, around treaty. What did you learn from the first iteration of the Assembly? Maybe, Ruben, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, so the, the first Assembly was a really incredible journey to get to where we got to. And I think one of the things that helped us in the last version of the Assembly is we had really clear objectives that we had to do. It was very clear the things we needed to put in place, which was the self-determination fund, 
a way of ensuring that there was going to be resources for traditional owners to actually sit at the table and negotiate treaty. We needed to make sure that there was the treaty authority, which is going to be the independent umpire to oversee treaty negotiations. And we had to make sure that there was the treaty negotiation framework, the rules for treaty. And so because we had that really clear objective, these were the things we had to do, that kind of helped us to focus on what we needed to be doing and give us the drive to the focus of what we had to do. Because when you're in these roles, there's lots of different things that come at you, of yeah. different things that are important. And there are so many things that are important to our community right now that need addressing, but we have to always think about what is it that our job is particularly as the assembly of what we're trying to pursue. So that, to me, is one of the key learnings from last time is that we need to keep really strong focus on what it is we're trying to achieve and not get too distracted by the other things that pop up along the way. Yeah, that must be a real... I mean, now you've mentioned it, it must be a real tension because we're still having our people incarcerated at record numbers at a higher rate than the rest of the, of the population. But... In relation to the job that the both of you have, you have a responsibility to lie down the the tram lines to get us to, to treaty, and I won't. I don't want to recall it as noise, but the, all the other issues that are, that are impacting us in real time um, must require a, a steadfast focus. Is that something that you sort of learned during the first iteration of the assembly as well, Nagara? Yeah, I've learnt so much just in the first term that we had um, but we worked incredibly hard to bring together those elements of voice treaty truth and really set the foundations for us to work towards treaties and it wasn't easy like we um, you know come off the back of the treaty commission which a credit to them they've done some fantastic work yeah. to prepare us for the assembly um, and through a pandemic um, we worked collectively um, to really kind of roll out those things that Reuben just said. Um, and I think within that time, we had to come together and the dynamics as well because it's the generational leadership, <laughs> it's the old leadership, the new leadership, young people, old people. So coming together to really gel and work together um, wasn't easy, but I feel now we're in a much better position um, because we're here for the end game of treaties. Yeah. And it's just how we get there. So everybody, you know, has very different perspectives and differing opinions. But one thing we all have is the collective strength of our community and working together um, to make sure that we're prepared for treaties as we go into negotiations. So, um, yeah, I think the first term was a bit of a whirlwind. This time it's... It's a bit more settled, but obviously with a different purpose. Um, and I think that, as Reuben said, our mandate was really clear. This time it's to do a statewide treaty and to be, um, you know, put on the register to be eligible to do the treaties from a statewide pers perspective as the Assembly. So we're really excited about, um, you know, the work ahead of us. It's a big job. So um, it is. But I think we'll get there. And it's just amazing our collective leadership the the abilities and the skills, the knowledge, the expertise that every member brings to the space. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're building something that we've never built before and I think when we unlock that power that we have um, as mob and as our communities and who we represent, I think that, you know, it'll be the unimaginable that we'll be able to do and it'll be transformational for our people here in Victoria. You reminded me then, um, Nagara, of... Um, look, the three of us have been around for, for a while and perish the thought, but there is a thing um, called politics that exists within our communities. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think we forget, before the Assembly was, um, was put together in the first place, it was absolutely no certainty, given that the history 
uh, of politics in this place between um, individuals and, and mobs and families. There was no guarantee that the Assembly would come together as a cohesive unit and get the incredible amount of work that um, you were tasked with done. But it happened, and it happened in a, um, you know, I don't want to... In a, in a polite, collegial, respectful way. And I think that's something that's really sort of worth acknowledging, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you bring 31 at the, the first iteration, 32 this time, uh, mob together who are from all different backgrounds, all different places, all different families, we all have connections, but we all have differences as well. And to me, that's one of the things I learnt the most from the last assembly is that you get better outcomes when you can get together in the room and everybody throws in their little bits and you push and you prod and you shape it and you get something that no one person could have come up with. It took the collective effort of all of us as members engaging with our communities to get those outcomes and that's going to be our strength moving forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're like a real political people and I think Mm. that those dynamics are natural and we've been on the forefront of colonisation in this country and we need a lot of healing and I think that's going to be a big part of how we go forward because the truth-telling will be part of that and our journey to healing and what we need to look at and also around, um, you know, the truth that needs to happen in this country as well to acknowledge those atrocities, what has happened to our people um, and we need to end, you know, a 250-year war that's been on our people over many generations. So I think we carry that intergenerational trauma um, and so the healing component will be huge to how we coexist. Um, But I think that the stronger that we become, then we will be a real force. Um, And I feel that that shift is happening now and we're starting to mobilise and, and get treaty ready. So it's it's exciting. But, yeah, it hasn't been easy, but um, I think, you know, we've got a long way to go. But I think coming together collectively, that's where our strength is. Ruben, in your speech um, after being elected co-chair, you said the toxic politics and racism at play in the national debate, which is underway, is a stark reminder of how much progress has been made in Victoria. Um, how and why... Um, is Victoria different when it comes to being able to have these types of conversations and engage in this sort of process, in your view? Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, I think it's, it's bigger than just issues around us as First Peoples. I think it's a, it's a bigger issue that Victoria has been on the forefront of lots of these different things. And I think it actually comes back to a lot of what I spoke about, the value of the Assembly, is I think one of the reasons why Victoria can be so progressive on these things is the diversity we have as a state, that we do have people here from different countries, different cultures, different backgrounds, and that's led to Victoria being so progressive in these areas. Uh, so yeah, I think there's an interesting parallel there between how we're operating as an Assembly and how Victoria, the state, is leading the way. Yeah. Broadly. I think, you know, comparatively to other states, we seem to... Um, as a um, as a broader society here in Victoria, we seem to really enjoy each other's company. You know, we'll go. You know, a hundred thousand of us will go to the opening of a you know a chips packet. Um, uh, we love hanging out with each other. We have a tremendous uh, coffee culture, and I think all of that sort of lends itself to being able to have these difficult because they are difficult uh, uh, conversations. And we're seeing we're seeing that through the tremendous work that the uh, Europe Justice Commission has has been doing, which is feeding part of this whole whole process. Um, but in terms of conversations, um, Gama is a place where people go to talk. You know, it's an opportunity for people to actually just go to the top end of Australia, mob all over the place and just hang and talk. And 
um, learn about each other's cultures and the like. You just come back from there. Uh, what was the feeling like up there um, in relation to, I guess, the voice, but also in relation to the stories that you would have been telling people from different nations up there as the, in terms of the work that the assembly is doing? Yeah, like, it's an incredible space. Like, I highly recommend for people to attend Gama if they can. I've been to a few Gamas over the years, but it's a, it's a political and a cultural space, and that's what we do best if it's not political politics and culture and sports but up there it's Gama it's an amazing blending of all different cultures and people that come from all over the country and internationally to that space and obviously the topic was voice but we can't lose sight of of treaty and truth so I think those were the conversations that I were having around what we're doing in Victoria like it's remarkable that we have a truth-telling um, entity in the Europe Justice Commission and we have an inquiry underway We've built our voice. It's not perfect, but it's a democratic elected voice that's representative of the different nations um, across this state. And, um, you know, we've got a treaty negotiation framework in place. We've got the treaty authority coming as well. So all three elements of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, we're progressing here in Victoria, and I think that's really trailblazing stuff. And that's been able to put us on the forefront of treaties and truth-telling in this country. Um, I was so impressed with the way that the Yornal people run the festival. As I said, it's, it's, it's heavy with, um, you know, the cultural authority that they carry, um, the cultural ceremonies, the activities, the things that they run and blend in with the keynotes. So there's a, a, an amazing space up there where they have a number of speakers from the Prime Minister um, to Noel Pearson to Jawa Yunapingu. So they're amazing speakers that talked about all the different elements of Voice Treaty Truth. Um, and I think that, you know, what's happening with The Voice, it's caused a lot of harm to our people throughout yeah. the campaign. Um, I think Noel Pierce had talked about the fact that no other public position had been scrutinised like The Voice has in over 15 years. Um, and throughout that time, and most recently, it's caused a lot of harm to our mob. Um, and I feel that we can't afford for it not to happen. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a supporter of, of the yes vote in the upcoming referendum, and it's enabled us here in Victoria, being recognised in the Constitution already, um, to be able to have a treaty act that progresses treaties for our people. So I think that, yeah, those conversations were, were, were had around, around Gama, around Voice Treaty Truth, um, and, the, and the support that, that the Yunnan people have is incredible. And I think, um, you know, the majority of our people are supportive of a yes vote and they're supportive of treaties and truth-telling. So I think Victoria is really leading the way, um, you know, with already doing those three elements. Yeah, I mean, Ruben, it's an opportunity surely for the rest of the country to look at what's happening here in Victoria and what happens when you enable First Nations people to get together as a collective and try and determine our own future on an equal footing with the state. Surely it's an example and it's a, it's a case that could actually you know, avert a lot of the alarmism that is going around the voice at the moment. Um, sh surely there's a role for the, the Assembly to play in terms of saying, listen, here, you know, the rest of you, <laughs> um, have a look what's happening here in Victoria and see what can happen and what is being done. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, there's so much scaremongering going on of all this fear of what might happen if there's this, this elected voice. And we already have a voice here in Victoria. We've been operating as that voice for the last four years um, and we've only been able to achieve good stuff. 
Mm. Uh, it's not something to be concerned about for the for the non-Aboriginal community. Some of them, sadly, don't even know that we exist, but that's how much of an impact it won't necessarily have a negative impact on them if, that you know, hopefully they do know more about us, but it's not something for people to, to fear. And ACT, the Australian Capital Territory, has had an elected voice there to their parliament for many years before that as well. Yeah. And, like, it's it's just not something that people have to fear. This is something that can only bring benefits uh, we've seen what happens when the government is solely responsible for making decisions about our people. We've seen the lack of outcomes. We've seen the clothing, clothing gap not actually being closed. And we need to do something about that. And listening to First Peoples about the things that affect them is a modest request to at least go some way to addressing some of those things. Yeah, I think that's been one of the, um, the head-spinning things for a lot of the people out there who are being asked to consider a question that doesn't actually affect them in any way, shape or form, when they realise when they realise actually how humble the request is to uh, not only, first of all, put in a minor reform to the Constitution itself and then, and then have a voice. Um, what, what, what do you say to... I mean, this is part of the problem, right? The three of us, when, whenever we go somewhere and we hang out with people either we know or don't know, invariably they ask, oh, what's the deal with the voice? Mm. What do you say, Ngara, when someone says, oh, what's, what's the deal with the voice? Well, basically we say, you know, we want to have a say about the decisions that affect our lives, our communities, our country, and that's what it is. It's, it's a step forward that gives our people more of a say of that decision-making that's about us. So I think that there's no harm in us having a voice to the parliament. It's to advise on policies and programs. Um, I feel that, um, you know, there'll be a process around if it does get up in, in October or whenever it is, um, that, you know, there'll be steps after that to how we get that representation. Um, but basically I just tell people to vote yes. <laughs> really. And, um, you know, it's become so big. Like, I, I just it's can't huge. believe the turmoil around it. It's become so big and so symbolic that it's about the narrative of this country now and our future and how we will coexist. So I think it's become bigger than Ben-Hur. It has. Um, and as I said, it's 15 years of scrutiny and to and fro and being um, politicised, as we are, like a football passed around by the politicians. Um, so I think, you know, we just got to get to work and get it done. And as I said, we're, we're doing Voice Treaty Truth here in Victoria and I'm really proud of that. And I feel that's going to really contribute significantly to the narrative of this country and how we'll go together into the future. Now, let's get to the human element of what you are now tasked with and how that affects you. And so let's start off with, like, you both come from very proud... Um, advocate families that have done a tremendous amount for um, mob here in, here in Victoria. Maybe we'll start with you, Reuben. Tell us about uh, not only your mob but your family and, and where you've come from and where you're going. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm always really proud to talk about my family, in particular my, my dad, Uncle Jim Berg, who's done some remarkable things um, across generations now and it, it always amazes me no matter which place I go to, there's often people saying, oh, yeah, your dad helped set up this place here where we are. And there's, there's, there's so Fingers many institutions. Of pies. Yeah. 
that he, he, he worked at and helped set up and, and really was at the forefront of so many really important things. And the work that he did around the return of ancestral remains uh, was something he was always so passionate about and was really able to be an, an amazing advocate to get that sort of stuff done. And, you know, it's always in, in my mind thinking about, you know, him there and what he's done and trying to at least in some way follow in his footsteps and, and, and follow in the principles that he taught me so that I can keep doing this amazing work that needs to be done. Yeah, I think that's the thing is you, you just abide to the principles that he laid down for you and then you, you, you write your own path, mm-hmm. um, basically. Gara, tell us about uh, not only... Well, we know about... Well, I know about your mob, you know, in particular because we come from very similar places. But tell us about um, your family's advocacy and role in... Yeah, so I come from big families with really strong cultural ties to country and and people here in Victoria and strong ancestry. And, yeah, my family, the Murrays and the Nicholses, have been on the journey throughout the political movement and have been instrumental in a number of, um, you know, causes and things that have happened across our history. Um, It was an amazing time growing up as a kid you know, my grandfather, Pastor Sir Doug Nichols, um, you know, my, my other grandfather, Stuart Murray, have been really influential in our family and our um, legacy that we ca- continue to carry over generations. And it was just incredible to witness, um, you know, as a child. And we were around, you know, amazing community members and elders within our families um, growing up um, in, in Melbourne, but also in Shepparton, where I went to school and grew up with the mob up there on Yorta Yorta Country. Um, and it's a huge um, responsibility that we carry now and it is an intergenerational thing to ensure that we continue, um, you know, that legacy um, and we've always fought towards um, our people's rights um, of recognition and also towards justice for our people. So I've had an incre- incredible upbringing um, being part of a really strong cultural political family, so something that I'm really proud of. I love that moment in your um, speech after you'd been elected uh, co-chair referring to this um, surpassed the Doug Nicholson statue outside. Yes. You're in the, you're in the Legislative Council <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking on the floor of the Parliament and you've got that reminder just yeah, outside. Yeah, I felt really emotional in that space. I can only imagine. I think because it's such a colonial space and we kind of, you know, use that space to kind of honour the new members that are elected and to, to come into that space um, and we kind of indigenise it, you know, we, we change up the space and we've got our treaty flag and the, fl- the Koori flags and stuff. Um, but I felt really emotional at that time and, and also having the smoking ceremony earlier that day in the Parliament Reserve where my grandparents stand. Um, but, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing thing and we talked a bit about that around that, you know, this is the place that our people march to and raise their fists and they have for many... outside. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it was quite, a, yeah, a, a momentous day um, but an emotional day um, for a lot of us. Now, I want to talk to you about um, the spotlight and the head-spinning... Um, you know, events of being thrust into the in, into the spotlight. I mean, if you either of you were to say something controversial right now, like you know, you think uh, Port Phillip Bay should be filled in um, and turned into an amusement park or something like that, it'd probably make the the front pages of the Herald Sun um, tomorrow. You go from being part of a collective and working collegially with people to being now front and centre. You go from being on the floor of. Uh, of the assembly to standing next to Dan Andrews as he's being grilled by a hostile media pack over uh, the Commonwealth Games. How are you preparing yourselves for that t- 
type of scrutiny that will invariably come your way over the next few years? Um, do you have the support around you? And how has it changed your mindset as, as we move forward? Maybe, Ruben, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, to me, part of what helps me move through it is that I don't see myself out there in the front. I'm, I'm, as a co-chair, we've got a slightly elevated role, but this is going to be achieved by all of us as members working together as a, as a collective. We are still a collective, and we're still going to be relying on our community support in the work that we're doing. So whilst, yeah, occasionally the focus is going to be on us as the co-chairs, uh, we're really keen to make sure that it's not just us, that it is all of our members who are part of this journey, and we all have the same responsibilities to, when we sit down and vote to negotiate treaty, to agree on treaty, we all have the same vote when we go to do that, and that's yeah. that's a really important thing to me to have in my mind. Um, but also just knowing that I've got the support of my family, I've got the support of the, the the chamber that chose us. They have our backs as well, so we're not out there alone in any way. Absolutely, and the car over that yeah. Yeah, I, I just take it in my my stride. Um, I think yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming, um, but I think that I carry that strength of my ancestors, and that really helps me keep grounded. And like Ruben said, the flatter leadership is much more my my preference um, and sort of leading from the back. Yeah. And that's sort of the approach that I've had. Um, and obviously there'll be scrutiny. There always is with anything that we do, um, you know, our people. Um, and I just make sure that I've got that strong foundation of where I come from and my family around me um, to keep me grounded. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a little overwhelming, you know, going along to a presser with the Premier or... <laughs> I saw you, I saw you. I probably ya. need to get some media training or I'll have that's, to let I mean, um, the Assembly know because I'm not really big on, you know, being out there. That's, um, what, that's what prompted the question because I was watching the, the, the press conference and they're not seeing photos in the in the paper the next day, and there you are standing behind Andrews, who is a um, you know um, whether people love him or loathe him, he is a, a colossal of uh, Victorian politics in particular, and just thinking, oh Nagara, this must be such a hair spinning <laughs> moment for you. Yeah, it was surreal, um, but yeah, he's obviously shown remarkable leadership, you know, throughout COVID. Um, I think he mentioned within his speech that. Um, the work that he'd done in the Treaty and Truth Telling Space had been a highlight of his career, or nine-year career. Um, but, yeah, it is surreal. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit to get used to. But I'm a big believer of collective leadership um, and really building the strength across the collective um, and, you know, within our community as well. So I think it's just something that we'll, we'll take in our stride and, and um, see how we go. Uh, I have no doubt that both of you will take it in your stride and you'll be fine. Um, just to um, some of the business, that's um, actually part of the, the work going forward and it's an it's a, it's immediate business. Um, the uh, the Assembly's looking for um, what is termed as uh, treaty umpires um, to basically make sure that the... Negotiations between the state and various parties are, are held in good faith. Can can one of you tell me about the role of the, the treaty empire and and what role they're going to be playing as we move forward? Yeah, so the treaty authorities are a really important part of the treaty process that we're able to put in place under the last assembly, and it's just a reality that if you're going to sit down and negotiate with another group there's going to be disputes, like there's going to be issues that come up. And if you're going to have that negotiation and there's going to be disputes, you need someone to come and help resolve those disputes. And when you're talking about sitting down to negotiate with the state, yeah, like the most likely thing people would think of, well, you need some state body to help resolve the disputes, but 
that's the state. We're trying to negotiate with the state. So we can't be someone that is from the state or a state authority. So that's why we have these really important conversations with our community and with members to say, well, we want to do things differently. We want to establish this treaty authority, which isn't a legislative body. It's not um, a statutory body. It doesn't report to a minister. It's its own entity. It's going to be start off as five individuals, First Nations peoples with strong connections to here in Victoria, and it's going to be their job to oversee the treaty negotiations, both the statewide treaties but also the local traditional owner treaties because that's also mm -hmm. the process that's going to be going on parallel. So they're going to have a, a really, really important role. It's a big job, isn't it? It's mm. a really big job. And those... Positions are open now for First Nations mob in this place to have close ties, whether they're a traditional owner or not, to this place now known as Victoria. Um, before we wrap up the, the, the interview this evening, there are a couple of elephants in the room that I want to address. Um, one is right there now, Ruben. It's your elephant. Um, and there's one waiting outside, which is yours, Nagara. <laughs> um, uh, let me just put it on the table. Uh, you were, Ruben, a participant of Hard Quiz, of, in which um, you were there, and your topic was uh, Ultimate Frisbee. First of all, tell us about your connection to Ultimate Frisbee and what your experience in Hard Quiz was like. Yeah, sure. This is a tough question as well. <laughs> uh, so when I worked up in Queensland, when I was an architect back in the days, don't practice any architecture now, but I worked up in the Department of Housing in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Housing Unit up there in Queensland, and we used to play soccer at lunchtimes. Uh, and after a while, the boss there said, well, you should try this Frisbee game, Ultimate Frisbee. I thought, that sounds ridiculous, but eventually <laughs> succumbed and tried it and become a passionate Ultimate Frisbee player for the last 20 years and actually helped, I helped write the rules of Ultimate Frisbee for the world, which was a useful thing when working on the treaty negotiation framework. I had experience with, <laughs> with rules and, uh, yeah, so brought that across. Those clean, straight, elegant lines of logic that um, are, are combined in your love for uh, Frisbee and for uh, the assembly and of architecture. So it all came together at once. So, um, okay, well, I'm glad we addressed that. Um, Ngara, a little bird tells me that you used to be uh, a housemate of a bloke called uh, Paul Trapani. Yes. Also known as Paulie P. Yes, who, uh, Paulie P. <laughs> hosts Live Wire Saturday evenings from 10 to 12 here yes, in Triple R. That's right, yep. Got any goss? Anything you want to tell us? Uh, no, not really. Um, we share the house. One of my good friends from Shepherd and Mal Harris and, and Paulie um, had a house. So, yeah. I lived with him for a little bit, and yeah, it was a fun house, and he's been involved with Triple R for quite some time. A long time. So yeah, he, he was an awesome housemate. Yeah, okay. All right, well, that was slightly disappointing. <laughs> I thought there was going to be some No gosh, gosh, sorry, uh, no gosh. He's a good fella. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Both of you are good fellas. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming in this evening, taking the time out. Um, best of luck as we move forward. People like me, I, I will say... I voted for both of you. Oh, great. Thank um, you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, I can't remember which order, but um, <laughs> that doesn't matter because um, you're here now, you're doing a great job and um, full speed to, uh, to your arm and uh, we'll stick close with you and um, support you all the way as you move forward with this important work. So thanks for coming in. Great. Thank thanks for having us.
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>